Hello everyone, I am Strati Papa Georgiou. And I'm Father Michael Tischel. And we are An Imperfect, Imperfect Podcast. Podcast. And today we have a special guest with us, uh, Elias Mims, who uh, is from, uh, where, where, are you, where is he from? Salt Lake City, Utah. Wow. If I... I'm correct, from the uh, Church of Saints Peter and Paul. Uh, it's an Antiochian Orthodox church, a uh, wonderful uh, church that we've heard a number of good things about, filled with uh, folks coming from a number of different backgrounds, very vibrant um, um, community with uh, young and old and, and uh, a lot of families, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, so thank you so much for being with us, Elias. It's, it's really great to have you on our podcast. Thank you. All right. So um, this is a, a special occasion because we're not uh, typically uh, interviewing uh, folks on our podcast. Um, and so we're really excited to be able to um, get a chance to hear more about your story. Elias, um, you shared with us a little essay that you wrote um, that gave a beautiful um, depiction of your journey to orthodoxy. And uh, I think it was particularly um, compelling and there was you know, a lot of... Uh, of uh, beautiful um, kind of moments that you shared with us. Um, and so, you know, we'd love to get a sense of uh, your journey. But before that, if you could just uh, give us uh, a sense of where you're at now in life um, and kind of take that wherever, wherever you'd like. Well, I recently retired after 40 years in journalism. Um, the last few years, I was a religion writer. Which is uh, really how I discovered orthodoxy at then age 64. Um, I have uh, four grandchildren um, and I'm uh, staying busy uh, playing with them and uh, taking trips, um, doing some freelance editing and writing, and uh, just learning what it's like to be at a, a slower pace. I'm on the parish council now of my church that and that keeps me busy too i'm sure yeah, yeah. especially with <laughs> our building projects and okay excellent um so how if you if i may how old are your grandchildren what what are the age ranges uh, my grand uh, my only granddaughter is 11. i have a, a grandson by adoption uh, who's just turned 30 and, uh, uh-huh. and, a, and a six-year-old and a four-year-old wow yeah, oh, that's excellent. So, what do you what do you often do with them when you're when you're spending time with them? Get on the floor and play cards. Uh, uh, role play uh, certain cartoon characters they seem to like. <clears throat> Just uh, yeah. kind of get silly. Yeah. 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 You know, I um so so I have a I have two children a, a three year old and a two year old and. Uh, you, you mentioned having spent 40 years as a, as a journalist and now experiencing what, what it's like to slow down a little bit. And, uh, you know, it made me think of uh, just my own experience playing with my, my kids, you know, while also being in a, you know, in a, a pretty fast-paced, you know, parish environment and everything. And, and you know, that, that's, that difference between, um, you know, a career or kind of, you know, your, your, your work um, outside the home, and then also coming home and and slowing down and just being content with playing, you know, role playing and things like that. I wonder if you could. I mean, you know, wasn't planning on asking this, but if you could uh, share a little bit about that experience of of as you said, kind of slowing down and what what that's what that's like and how how one does that. Because I mean, I you know personally, sometimes it can be a struggle, you know, just to kind of enter into the world of a three and a two year old. Um, after having my mind in all of these, you know, quote unquote, important things, <laughs> you know, and to kind of like really be pre- in the present moment and how you kind of, how you do that. Well, it's, uh, I'm still figuring that out, I think. Uh-huh. Um, after all that time in an industry that is by its nature cynical, uh, both of faith and certainly of politicians and, and, um, you just see the worst side of, of uh, human nature quite often. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. So it's refreshing to finally discover this delight in anything new in the in the world. You know, it, a caterpillar, mm -hmm. an ant, uh, a new toy, um, endless questions at a certain age. I'm sure you're uh -huh. just about to enter that. Yes. Um, it, it gives you a refreshed view of what life is, mm -hmm. and to remember that it's there are far more good people out there than there are the evildoers and um, manipulators of power and finance. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's a, a good, that's a good way. That's yeah. a very uh, a profound kind of uh, discovery, I guess, after, you know, yeah, as you said, after kind of having this view of humanity for so many years that probably was, yeah, the kind of the not so inspiring side of humanity and then to kind of, um, experience, you know, the childlike, uh, wonder and awe and, uh, simplicity and innocence and to kind of have, uh, another perspective, uh, that's, that's, that's very inspiring. That's very inspiring. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so, um, so yeah, so you're, you're in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, you've worked, you know, for most of your, um, career as a, as a journalist, recently retired, um, you know, spending time with family, working in the church. Uh, this, it's a lot, of, a lot of amazing experiences I can only imagine. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the reason why we're, we're ha we have invited you on here is to hear about your life, and in particular, your journey to orthodoxy. As you said, uh, you know, it was in your 60s that you actually encountered um, orthodoxy in a, in a way that, that led you to actually enter into the Orthodox Church. Um, and it seems like a very um, interesting way, and, and in a sense, uh, um, I guess, I don't want to say ironic or paradoxical, that, uh, that you entered in through your encounter, through a journalistic uh, article. So here you are, you know, having, having engaged in uh, journalism for so many years, and as you, as you said, maybe seeing the, the kind of darker side of humanity, and, and it was actually through that, through that avenue that you encountered orthodoxy. And um, so please, you know, tell us a little bit about um, your journey to orthodoxy, if you'd like, maybe just starting from the very beginning and uh, taking us up to this, this uh, experience that you had in your 60s of uh, encountering the faith through, through uh, an article that you wrote. Uh, well, I'm a preacher's kid, and um, uh, even worse, perhaps, um, a uh, preacher's kid from evangelical Pentecostalism. Um, my father was, uh, who passed away this year, uh, was a uh, minister in the Assemblies of God, probably the largest Pentecostal uh, church fellowship in the world. And uh, so that was my background, uh, and uh, being a preacher's kid, you also see, I guess, some of the negative aspects of uh, church life, and uh, so by the time I was a teenager, I wasn't too uh, enamored uh, of what I had been raised in. I still had a love for Christ, certainly, um, but I didn't know what to do with that, and I just kind of let it go dormant. So, through the years, uh, as a journalist, and as we mentioned earlier, seeing the more cynical side of humanity, I guess by the time I uh, was told about this little Orthodox church in predominantly Mormon Utah, um, and I was just doing stories sort of, uh, you know, er everything is fine, whatever faith you pick, you know, it'll get you somewhere. Um, so I thought, oh, what is this? Orthodox. It's kind of like, I guess, Catholic with more pomp and circumstance or something. I don't know. So I went downtown and uh, uh, found Saints Peter and Paul, uh, Antiochian Orthodox Church, and um, parish priest, uh, Father Justin Havens. And he met me in a chapel. Uh, very small little chapel, probably four or five uh, seats, uh, and we just talked. I had all the usual questions. Now, uh, how does Orthodoxy differ from Roman Catholicism? Um, 
he explained, but then the conversation took a turn because I sensed something inside, kind of like, this is different. Um, and we talked, and he invited me to attend Vespers on Saturday night. And uh, there was no pressure at all. He just said, which is now, I've learned since, is a common phrase in orthodoxy, mm -hmm. come and see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I did. And... Uh, I wasn't ready for what I walked into. Hmm. This was not the smoke machines and flashing strobe lights and electric guitars and drums and dancing around of, uh, of the uh, worship team at the Assemblies of God Church I had been involved with. Hmm. It was quiet, and yet it was overwhelming. Hmm. The sense of the sacred. All the senses were involved. There was the sound of the chanting. There was the candlelight, not just natural light at that service. Uh, there was the incense, the icons. It, for a Protestant uh, kid, it was pretty overwhelming, and yet there was something that just really tugged at my heart about it. I didn't know what to do with this. I wrote my story for the Salt Lake Tribune uh, about this little church. Um, about three, four hundred people now. Um, about a third of them converts from the Mormon church. And a collection of, I was kind of surprised to find out, Pentecostals as well, former. Uh, Episcopalians, Catholics, what have you. Um, after so the Vesper service, so I knew I had to so come was back. It not, sorry, That's uh, so all right. was it not like a parish that was... <laughs> What? I'm wandering. No, you're no, fine. Okay. No, you're fine. I just have a question. Uh, so the parish wasn't one of those ethnic. It wasn't very like you know, ethnocentric. Ethnocentric. Thank you. Oh, it's uh, the original uh, congregation. I learned at about 25 years ago was largely Serbian and Russian Orthodox. Interesting. And there are probably still a couple dozen people uh, that have remained from that. Mm -hmm. The Serbians and the Russians have since uh, opened their own parishes in Salt Lake City. Okay. And of course, there's a large Greek Orthodox uh, presence as well. Um, but uh, by and large, it's an English-speaking uh, congregation. Right. We say the Lord's Prayer in multiple languages because people are there who can say that. Sure. And, uh, and the liturgy is done... Uh, with key Greek phrasing, uh, especially uh, Lord have mercy sections, so tribulation and uh, Slavonic and whatever else is uh, present at the time. Yeah. So it's multi-ethnic in that added in that regard, but as far as background, it's diverse. Yeah. And, as I mentioned, with the a Protestant and more liturgical backgrounds and how people came there. Well, we quite a few former Buddhists too. Wow, it's wow. really interesting. That is well. I, a lot of questions kind of yeah, come to mind as as you as same. you are talking as far as um, yeah as far as the the makeup of the congregation and also how folks why is it that you know so many folks are coming from this diverse diversity of backgrounds? But if we could actually before then, if we could uh, go back to um, your own experience as you first met Father Justin, um, you had a conversation with him. And, um, and you sort of, you, you, there was this conversion, I guess you could say, from your ideas of what orthodoxy was, which was, you know, kind of more general sense of a, some, something close to Catholic with a little bit more pomp and circumstance, as you said, um, to, to an actual encounter with something more beyond that, that really kind of, you know, uh, yeah, that intrigued you. To then actually going to the Vespers service, where, um, you, as you put it so beautifully, you were, you know, it was, um, it was both silent and overwhelming. Yeah. What, um, what was overwhelming? Yeah. What? Yeah. If, if it, that's exactly what I was going to ask. Is just, you know, this. That's such an interesting distinction or an interesting kind of like experience to say that it was both silent and overwhelming. And as you said, that there was something that kind of tugged at your heart. Can, can you say more about that? It's almost an inexpressible sense of authenticity. Mm. Something I 
honestly had not experienced uh, in my life before. There was always that desire and, and zeal, you know, this drawing to God, especially Christ, because uh, when you're a Pentecostal evangelical, the, the emphasis is on Jesus and the Holy Spirit, at least the understanding of those things. Sure. But here was something... Always, always struggle with the idea of what the Trinity was. What's this one in one in essence and and uh, uh, you know equal equal personalities within the same being? <laughs> Heard all sorts of things. You know, comparisons to shamrocks uh, <laughs> with the three leaves or an egg. <laughs> that was one too, but it never quite sank in. It was uh, just a mystery, you know. In a Protestant sense, not an Orthodox sense, as I've learned. Sure. Um, but uh, it was overwhelming because it was not an assault on all the senses, but a caress mm. of all the senses. Mm. Sight, smell, touch. I mean, there were, there were the icons not just to see, but to venerate. And sure. I didn't do that immediately myself because it was all foreign to me. Um, as to the conversation with Father Justin, I asked all the typical questions uh, a journalist might ask if he's trying to figure out why why wasn't this uh, Catholic and what was what was similar and and then inevitably it becomes personal. Interesting. Uh, why in the world is Mary mentioned so much in the liturgy, Father? And, uh, <laughs> Why is why is her icon up there and behind behind the altar as well? What does that mean? Are you worshiping Mary? No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> but she is uh, she is revered and she is most a most holy person and also this wonderful spiritual and physical catalyst, um, the mother of our faith. Protestants have an extremely hard time with that at first. Sure. Yeah. The only time I recall growing up, Mary was mentioned was when Dad would read from Luke on Christmas. Mm. And uh, that's it. Yeah, that was pretty much it. And then, uh, and then she was at the cross at the end. Mm-hmm. No one told us. <laughs> no one told us about her, her passing and and her role as a, uh, as a mother of the church and a respected advisor. Mm-hmm. All of those things. Then this idea of the saints, anyway, not just you know somebody that you honor historically, but who can intercede for you, who cares about you. And when you get to that, the thing that really blew me away was this idea that during liturgy and the Eucharist, not only getting beyond the thing of the actual presence in in the elements, it's not just a memorial service; it's something very holy. But, but during that time, heaven and earth, the church universal, and the church, I think the old term is militant, mm-hmm. you know, they're one. And we're all participating in the same experience. That there is no separation between uh, those saints, our departed loved ones in the faith, and us. Right. This was like... I told Father Justin when I finally decided I want to be a catechumen. And he questioned me, of course. He wanted to make sure I was serious. But uh, I said, it's like I've been aware of this, of the divine, all my life as a big ocean. I'm on the shore and I run into the waves a little bit and then back out onto the sand, just Ooh. dip my toes in. Since now I feel like I'm diving into the depths, and I'm not afraid of that. Hmm. Well. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, that I mean, that that uh, experience, and then what you were saying before about having this desire for God from a very early age, but it wasn't until you encountered Orthodoxy that you actually found sort of an authentic experience outside of yourself. 
that kind of met that met that desire, and that 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 that's a very interesting way of articulating it. That you 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 had a, you, I guess you could say you had an authentic desire, right? And you were looking for an authentic um, object of that desire, um, and and you passed through, you know, you know um, your your kind of Pentecostal experience, and then you know as that sort of lay dormant, um, and and weren't you, you weren't able to find that authentic expression until, as you say, you, you encountered orthodoxy, which so was authentic. Before you discovered orthodoxy, you were going to, were you still Pentecostal or were you attending other churches? I don't know if you said that before. Or... I was, uh, up, up until a year before I met Father Justin, I was on the board of deacons at an Assembly of God church. Oh, okay. Um, in the, in the uh, Protestant world, at least in the Assembly of God, for sure, uh, a board of deacons is a secular board of directors. Mm-hmm. They basically handle finances, and uh, <laughs> if egos get involved, they also try to, uh, to tell their pastor what to do. Sure. And as a preacher's kid, I wasn't too fond of that part. Right. Sure. It was. It was a personal. Yeah. I think. All three of us here. Yes, uh, we, we have we share that in common. I had I had long ceased to believe, from experience and observation, that the uh, speaking in tongues was ninety nine percent of the time. It was it seemed to me was more of an emotional experience and not not what I had been taught it was. It, um, I certainly respect people. And I still love them uh, in that tradition, but for me, I I had long since uh, thought this isn't a really what it's been preached to be. Yeah, not a genuine spiritual uh, experience, a message from God that, mm-hmm. that had to be interpreted from a language that no one on earth seemed to know, mm-hmm. um, and often in grammatically incorrect King James language. <laughs> However great the intentions may have been, the, uh, the interpretations are generally pretty pretty general and you know, exhorting you to uh, live a holier life and, and uh, forgive people, which are all great things, but yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so in, in your quest for authenticity, that didn't necessarily match the criteria. Yeah. No, I thought, uh, I thought, well, I might as well stay put. At least uh, we're trying to have Christian values and help each other, and we pray for each other, even though, you know, I guess this might be the one of the closest expressions of pure Christianity out there, but I don't quite feel that. But mm-hmm. I don't know anything else either. Right. I certainly didn't feel the more mainstream denominations that had become so progressive in their politics and beliefs uh, were the answer. But mm-hmm. I didn't. I was unaware that there was anything else. Yeah. So I That's kind of an interesting made, place I compromised. To... I made peace with it as yeah. much as I could. Sure. And that's an interesting place to find yourself where, you, you know, you, you sort of know what isn't the answer, but you're not quite sure what is. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. That's, so so uh, you, were, you were meeting with Father Justin um, to express your desire to become a catechumen. And for our listeners who may not be familiar with that term, um, it's essentially an early Christian. It comes from the early Christian um, practice um, that is, has been used all the way up until today in contemporary uh, orthodoxy to um, officially bless and um, receive inquirers into the faith before their actual baptism um, for a period of, of testing and, uh, and education um, that will allow them and prepare them to, uh, to eventually become um, full members of the, of the uh, church. So that's, that's what you were expressing your desire to become um, with Father Justin, and that's sort of where we left off in your story. So. So at fall was uh, nearly a year of uh, classes on every Saturday, uh, followed by Vespers. Uh, that was part of the deal. You go to Vespers and you're there for the uh, ortho, ortho and liturgy, divine liturgy of the next uh, day, Sunday. They're all, our church is rather unique in this 
in, the, in Utah because we have several liturgies through the week. It's just something they do. Um, it kind of wears them out, I think, our priests. But uh, it's wonderful to have that opportunity. So, so anyway, come Holy Saturday the following year after after uh, Pashka, or during the Pashka season, then um, along with 22 other catechumens, uh, I was baptized, and something unexpected happened. Um, the Pentecostal who had given up on the on this idea of being filled and sealed by the Holy Spirit um, experiences not, uh, not an emotional, overwhelming roll on the floor kind of thing, but uh, a deep sense of peace and uh, acceptance. Mm. When when I was uh, baptized and then chrismated, and my fellow parishioners responded to prayers by saying, seal, seal with the Holy Spirit. Right. And I realized this is what it is. So it it didn't take you very long. I mean, a year, right? A year there, before you. Yeah, or some did did take longer. You know, they want right. to be yeah. sure. And our priest is Father Justin and Father Paul uh, Trubenbach. Yeah. Um, are very serious about that too. You know, just sure. you're not joining a club. You're tro- right. You're well, joining I- the fullness of the gospel and the body right. of Christ. Yeah, my, my, my point was simply that, um, or my point, my thought was that, you know, for a lot of people, some people, it takes, it could take years, it could take, you know, there's really no number of how many it could take. Um, it, you, even though you came from such a different background, it, for whatever reason, maybe you can explain why, or maybe you don't know why, I don't know, um, it was easier for you to just sort of, I don't know. Embrace the embrace the orthodoxy. You know, it wasn't I mean, it was totally foreign to anything you knew and yet you were very open to it and um yeah, I just interested to know why. How is that the case? Maybe it's cuz I had a double major in college, journalism and history. So okay. as I got to uh was introduced to reading the church fathers and some of the histories of the church and learned that there was actually a church before 1054 uh, AD and uh, had always been there and still was that made me more interested and a little more open to the to the teachings that were so different from what I had been right. given as a child um, I had always been of the type personality that when I see something, I check it out. If I know it's true, you know, whether it's something, a product to buy or an idea um, or a source for a story and it verifies a fact or disputes it, I go. I go forward with that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the year of uh, study as a catechumen was adequate for me to answer those questions and confirm some of the things I had been feeling in my heart. Um, there are others I know. Uh, there was one that was baptized with me, also Pentecostal formerly. It mm. took he and his wife five years mm. to reach that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I was, I thought, this is it. This is the real thing, finally. You know, after... 64 years on this planet here it is this is this is the ancient church but not just a museum um, that you visit and say well that's nice it was around 2,000 years ago founded by the apostles actually founded by Christ but um, it's still living today there's this there's an an apostolic succession for Peter we have priests who can trace their they were a blessing, their ordination back through that line, you know, mm-hmm. throughout Orthodoxy. It's, uh, so you have that continuity, but also the consistency of the faith, the, uh, the role of the ecumenical councils to make sure it stayed on course and didn't go off in different directions, you know, like 10,000 different 
Protestant denominations or uh, what have you. So I was just convinced. Uh, I had no doubts, and I was ready. Mm-hmm. I yeah. thought, how many more years am I going to have, you know? Five, ten, twenty, maybe I'll live to be 96 like my dad did, but uh, still, I don't want to waste any more time. Mm-hmm. It's a long road to theosis. <laughs> well, and, uh, and, and you converted alone? Um, I mean, uh, yeah. uh, they didn't my Family. wife still attends the former church. Uh, okay. um, she has come to uh, liturgy and vespers and some social activities mm-hmm. with me, and she loves the people there, but she's just not ready. Sure, sure. Yeah. I'm the only yeah. one in my family, actually. Okay. Um, other members of my family are either lapsed uh, Pentecostals or just not interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The question that uh, that came to mind as you were talking about your your conversion, I mean, you, you said something very interesting as far as the actual event of your baptism, um, where the, um, you know, the, I think how you put it was you had given up on this sense of, of the activity of the Holy Spirit, um, you know, the kind of that, that you had seen was perhaps not, not authentic within the Pentecostal tradition or not, um, not what you thought it, it was or what, they, what it purported to be. Um, and then when, and you, so you sort of gave up on that and that, unex, as you said, there was this unexpected um, reappearance or, a, or, or appearance of, of the work of the Holy Spirit in, in, as you said, not as much of a kind of a, a emotional way or like an extroverted kind of emotional way, but in this kind of deep sense of, um, of uh, acceptance, I think, you, you, as you put it, you said acceptance and uh, peace. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if, if you can say anything more about, about your experience of the Holy Spirit as an Orthodox Christian, having lived, you know, most of your life in a Pentecostal church, which is, you know, centralizes the, the um, experience of the Holy Spirit and... Uh, in, in, in this particular expression of speaking in tongues and, and so on and so forth. But as, a, as an Orthodox Christian now, what would you say is, you know, the role of the Holy Spirit is in, in your life? Well, he's, as the prayer says, he's our, he's our comforter. He's our, he's the spirit of truth. Um, when the Holy Spirit is sealed into your, into you through baptism, and it's not just a, a, a ghost like Casper, the ghost or something. Um, and I'll explain that in a second. <laughs> um, but um, you have not just an element of the Trinity, but all the Trinity present. Um, when I was growing up, you prayed to God through Jesus' name. It was like a a key you had to put into a door. If you didn't say in Jesus' name, you know, God was, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> yeah, no, you didn't, you don't have the password, sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the Holy Spirit that I was taught about was something that made you go fall on the ground. Uh, they call that slain in spirit. Um, I guess uh, you're familiar with uh, some of the evangelists on TV, like Benny Hinn, mm-hmm. that waves his coat at people and they, they fall down. Mm-hmm. Uh, a case of mass hypnosis, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. Hysteria. Yeah, it's um, when you're when you're not grounded in the truth, when you don't have the traditions to guide you. Uh, the mm-hmm. teachings of the fathers, people who have been there before, holy people who struggle with all the same issues and questions we have today. Mm-hmm. Um, then you're truly, uh, you're truly at the mercy of the of the sola scriptura. Mm-hmm. That uh, every every man is his own pope or or bishop, I guess, and mm-hmm. um, you interpret it however you feel the Holy Spirit is leading you. Mm-hmm. You know, flip the Bible open and put your finger on a, a verse, and that's your message, even if it's 
right. something about slaughtering people who use a wall right. for their bathroom or something. Right. That Old Testament scripture. Sure. I don't want to say the word that's in King James, but um, yeah, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful or make fun of no. my, where I came from. It, if I had not had that, I wouldn't have had the yearning and love for Christ that I was, I was given. Right. Uh, the whole it, gave you a, yeah. it gave you a foundation. It, yeah. it did. It was a, it was a starting point. Sorry. At the very least, yeah. it told me, I need Christ in my yeah. life. What took me a long time to figure out was how that worked. Mm-hmm. 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 Right. Right. It was it was matching that that seed of a desire and of a yearning for 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 the real God, for the real and living God and, and the real and living Christ, the real and living spirit, matching that with the actual place, the, the place where that could be the, the meeting place. Yeah. Well, um, Elias, uh, you know, as you know, our, our little podcast here is called an imperfect podcast. And um, so, you know, in addition to having uh, very special guests on uh, like yourself and you're pretty much the first special guest of, of this nature that we've had, we've had Father Paniotis uh, come on to talk about uh, culture in the past. But, but not of but, this nature. Yeah, but not of this nature. Um, and so, you know, uh, as we were mentioning a little bit before the podcast, you know, I think what we've been trying to do here, um, hopefully, you know, with some fruit, is, um, is basically to... to to approach the depth and the richness of the Orthodox faith with the understanding that it is timeless and that it is always what it is, right? Because God is the same yesterday, today, and, and, tomorrow. and tomorrow and forever. Um, but also understanding that there is a certain uniqueness to our historical moment, I guess you could say. You know, our the, the, the technological boom and globalization, all these kinds of um, interesting developments within our world, I think, have had a certain impact and a certain influence on on hum- human beings and on humanity. And I think one one thing we've been exploring is perhaps one of those effects, uh, especially I think in America, um, with kind of a very success driven um, cultural environment, um, is this notion of. Um, of kind of a perfection, a perfectionistic tendency of, of perfectionism, right? Of um, striving for the very best. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, as we've identified before, there's nothing wrong with striving for excellence. There's nothing wrong with striving for, you know, um, to, to kind of master a particular skill or a particular sure. craft or anything like that. Sure. But where perfectionism sort of leads us astray, in particular, I think, in our spiritual lives and in our religious lives, um, is when we start to develop this understanding that I can and should be a good and perfect Christian mm-hmm. apart from God, yeah. um, apart from divine perfection. And that um, in many ways, my own sense of what I should, what or who I should be, this kind of image of who I should be that I kind of conjure up maybe subconsciously in my mind. And in, within a particularly orthodox context, that could be sort of like, well, I should be more like Saint so and so, you know, right? right? And that there's nothing wrong with wanting to emulate the saints, but again, this kind of more human perfectionism um, can kind of get in the way of acknowledging our brokenness, acknowledging our sinfulness, and which, turning to to Christ um, to perfect us, right? Which is how the saints found perfection. Which is how they found perfection to begin with, right? <laughs> was, was by accepting their imperfection. Yeah, that humility, a sense oh, of humility, yeah, yeah. right? Well, yeah. So, so all that to say that, um, you know, in hearing your beautiful story of first encountering, well, first desiring God, right? right. And, and walking through this environment of um, your, your, your background, for which, as you've said, you're, you're, you're grateful, but also, you know, that didn't necessarily satisfy that yearning for the authentic and living God. Um, walking through that, not knowing exactly where to find authenticity, where to find the living God, but then ultimately encountering it unexpectedly through your, um, your uh, career as a, as a journalist and a, you know, religious uh, writer, um, and then actually embracing orthodoxy as, as your own um, faith. In all of that journey, um, and just maybe perhaps your life in general, is there anything that you can um, share with us or reflect upon as far as 
um, this question that we've been that we've been sort of bouncing around over the past you know number of episodes as far as um, encountering the authentic Orthodox faith, encountering the living God, but in, but doing so as a people who struggle with perfectionism and a perfectionistic tendency. Yeah, how much of yourself did you have to, you know, um, come to terms with? Maybe, maybe, maybe you didn't uh, when 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 coming to orthodoxy or right may, or in life in general. I mean, yeah, which might be more personal, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a personal which, question. You know, it, yeah. I, I mean, we we've talked about in the past that we 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 this is a personal question for us too. You right. know, it's, it's something that that is certainly in our own experience as something that we struggle with as well. But um, again, if there's anything that kind of comes to mind in that regards, we'd love to hear about it. Spiritual practice, um, being almost immediately thrown into the liturgical year and a cycle of fasting. Right, uh, fasting. And not just mm-hmm. on the Wednesdays and Fridays, which is typical throughout the church, but you know, during the various seasons, it's like five or six times that through the year that we have varying levels of fasting, uh, Lent being the most uh, arduous, I guess. Um, at first, it scared the daylights out of me. <laughs> I, <laughs> I thought, well, I mean, how am I, go- how am I going to do this? Uh, it means I have to actually plan ahead um, what we have available and to think differently about um, eating, uh, overeating has been something I have struggled with in my life and uh, trying to get the weight off and such. Um, one of the passions is gluttony. Uh, and that's tied so closely to other things that are plaguing, uh, I think, American men throughout our society today. Lust. Sure. Um, pornography is a plague. And uh, sure. I, I'm sure confessors hear a lot of that. But uh, so you have this. I was raised that when you sinned, you needed to immediately drop to your knees and ask for forgiveness. And, you know, grace would take over. You didn't have to do anything because that's works. Yeah. We're, we're saved by grace, not by works. Kind of neglected the rest of that, ver, uh, the verses there to follow, but, or sure. uh, the epistle of James, certainly. Right. Um, but uh, I do that, and then the same thing would happen again the next day, you know, or even an hour later. Mm-hmm. Um, so you lived in uh, kind of in fear. Am I up to date on my asking for forgiveness mm-hmm. on these things? The whole concept of what is repentance? Mm-hmm. What does it really mean? It's not just saying I'm sorry. It's it's uh, a lot, having you do need the Holy Spirit within you to properly repent and when you're just kneeling at your bed by yourself there's value in that I'm sure but I have found being accountable to a confessor is eons ahead of that it's uh, it's not just a safeguard but it's also a, a mystical sacrament of, of the church and an ancient one from the very beginning and, um Something I, I had not experienced before. If confession to a priest was ever mentioned, it was derision. You know, right. Well, I don't confess to a man. I go direct right. to the source. Sure. As if we were somehow worthy to go direct to the source and not dirty inside. And, right. Sure. Um, along with the repentance, though, also came the idea that I'm just to- not totally depraved, uh, fallen creature. I have the image of God in me. It may be tarnished and mud spattered, but it's there. God has not abandoned me. Right. I need to recognize that. We are saved by grace, but we also have to participate in that. That's where repentance comes in. So that was a big revelation to me. Um, my first, uh, my life confession, it came prior to my uh, baptism, was scary. And one week, uh, Father Justin and I kept scheduling it and scheduling it. Something would always pop up at the last second. This happened five or six times. You know, someone would um, someone would be ill in the church and need need uh, a prayer and a blessing and 
in a couple of cases, uh, you know, uh, communion before departing. Or in one case, his vehicle broke down on the way to confession. Another time, it was mine. Um, <laughs> it was crazy. Or work would get in the way. And finally, uh, we just talked on the phone and said, let's just do it right now before Satan gets involved again somehow. It was, right. we were joking and we were not joking. Kind sure. of wondering if uh, what was happening here. Sure. Uh, that life confession, I made a list <laughs> several pages long, right? Going right all the way back to childhood. I'm sure I bored Father Justin horribly. Um, <laughs> but after uh, after that, I kneeled before the icon of Christ and and uh, he prayed the prayer of absolution over me. Uh, again, indescribable peace mm -hmm. and a sense of, yeah, this is right. This mm -hmm. is the way it should be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not saying I've lived a sinless life since. No, 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 no. But uh, I am immediately aware of it, and I know where the medicine is to cure my illness, to yeah. treat it. And... Uh, I am blessed with a great, great father and confessor, and uh, this is part of the tradition of the church too. Yeah, uh, I am just, I am just, still, treading water in that ocean. Let me mention earlier. I have a shelf full of books I want to read before I'm uh, called uh, called home by the Lord, um, and it would be nice to have that happen. But frankly, they're getting so numerous, I'm not sure that'll happen. <laughs> uh, but I'm learning by just experiencing, being present, participating, listening, praying. It, uh, it's a journey I wish I could have begun in my childhood. Mm. I envy the cradle orthodox. Um, and some of them say they envy me because it's they haven't had that same dramatic, I guess, to them, uh, experience of growing into it. Uh, but we're all, uh, we can help each other. Sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I mean, and thank you, first of all, for sharing that. I mean, that was very, very touching and um, really inspiring. Um, so thank you for for sharing your 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 reflections, even, you know, in general, but especially that, that last bit. Um, and... Um, you know, again, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to um, put words in your mouth or anything like that. So please let me know if this is not what you were saying. But one thing that I heard from that is this sense of, of finding within the Orthodox faith a real sense of the presence of God in everything that you did. Um, you know, again, whether it was repentance or you know asking for God's forgiveness or you know or you know the the practices of the church were sort of all imbued with this sense of the Holy Spirit that came through baptism and chrismation, um, and that, you know, in many ways, again, if I could kind of connect it explicitly to our theme of, of human perfectionism versus divine perfection, it's, it's in, in coming into contact with God and God's presence, the real and living God, and that deep and abiding sense of God's presence which is perfection, which is the divine perfection that we're all searching for, that we find, you know, that first of all, the yearning of our heart, and that we realize that anything that we could do on our own terms, you know, to try to achieve that, quote unquote, is always going to fall short. And certainly the works, as you're saying, are, are part of this activity of salvation, but the, the starting point is that, is that encounter with, with God's love and mercy and presence, right? And, 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 and not just in our minds or in our emotions, but in that deep and abiding sense that you were talking about. Um, I don't know if that was kind of it in was, line with... It's beautifully put, and it, it exactly what I would express if I had that ability to do so. Um, no, you did. Thank beautiful. you for that. That's, that summarizes it very well. Um, you, know, you had talked earlier about uh, my former uh, faith tradition, I hate to use the T word for that, it's only a hundred years old after all, 
<laughs> by American standards, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, by American standards. Um, but I guess, as well as the love for Christ that my parents instilled in me, there was something my father said when I was a young man. Um, it had happened shortly after I had been praying very hard as an eight-year-old for what it was described as the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, speaking in tongues was kind of like the evidence that that had occurred. And I was, we were in a small church in central Washington's wheat country. Um, and I was there alone in this tiny chapel that we had for our church above a bowling alley. <laughs> um, and it, I was praying and praying really hard to the point where I was perspiring. And nothing was happening. All I felt was my desperation, my unworthiness. And so afterward, I, my dad was comforting me. We got into a conversation about, are we the only ones who are going to heaven? And, you know, if this experience is supposed to be like, like the... Uh, rite of passage to that, then, well, no, no. Our Baptists going to heaven, our Catholics, or, and he, he just said, I think we'll all be surprised by who we'll see in heaven. It's not going to be just us, and it likely will not be some of us. That was his attitude, and it, you know, if he tried to explain it further to an eight-year-old, I don't remember it, but that stuck with me. I guess it left part of my mind and my my soul open, maybe dormant for 40 years after that, but uh, nonetheless open. There was that window, and orthodoxy jumped through. Wow! Yeah, that's a a beautiful, beautiful image to sort of like opening this window to this unknown land that, you know, at that point you had no idea it was there, but at least you knew that there was something more and, uh, and that you were eventually led to that something more in a more kind of concrete way while still experiencing the, uh, as, you, as you put it, the, uh, the uh, unending nature of the quest and of the even just desiring to read books, you know, and how many more books there are to read, let alone actually encountering God, you know, and how, how, how uh, unending that, that quest is. And, uh, but what a beautiful, what a beautiful story, uh, Elias. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing that with us and with our, our listeners. And I guess maybe just to conclude, if, if, if you have any, from, from your own journey, from your own experience, if you have any kind of words of of wisdom for anybody out there who may be searching uh, themselves and, and perhaps uh, encountering orthodoxy for the first time or any, anybody within the orthodox faith who may sort of be coming to a deeper understanding of their own faith that they grew up with and maybe feel you know they, like they've sort of exhausted their knowledge and now all of a sudden there's this kind of yeah. new spark. Is there anything that you could share particularly to those people that would... Uh, perhaps uh, touch them. I'm not sure this would address all of those groups, but it might it might mean something nonetheless. When I became a catechumen, one of the requirements uh, was that I would resign my membership in my former church. And since I was a member of the Board of Deacons, uh, that became uh, a more elevated, I guess, experience. So I invited my pastor uh, out to Starbucks for a cup of coffee and uh, explained to him my journey in my heart. He was aware that something was going on. Uh, during that time, I would go to liturgy and, and orthos. Um, and because of the time differences in the schedule, then I would rush back with Father's blessing um, and attend part of the sermon in her church, our our old church. And uh, that went on for, for a while until finally the point came where, you know, you need to make that separation. Mm-hmm. So there we were, and he was, uh, I was explaining it to him. He was trying to wrap his mind around it. 
he's a good man. Um, and he wasn't wasn't condemning, but he's, he at one point he said, so I don't know much about the Orthodox, but they have a lot of ritual. Ritual is a bad word in evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Although we we evangelicals had created our own rituals, the practices that we uh, we uh, expected, you know, three worship songs, a sermon, closing prayer, and all are call and go off to watch the NFL in the afternoon. Sure, um, that's a pretty important ritual as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I said, I said, well, it depends on how you look at it. I said, I may have thought that a year ago myself. But what I found is, it's not that they have a lot of ritual; they have a lot of reverence. Mm. Mm. And I said, and I said, Pastor, that's what I have missed all my life. Mm. Is is a feeling that that reverence exists in and of itself, not something mm. we have to conjure. Mm. That's something. That's something. Mm. No, that's good. Yeah. How did he? Uh, yeah, was, respond. I'm curious. <laughs> He accepted it. He said he would pray for me. Um, I'm sure he thought through his prayers I might change my mind, but sure, yeah, I did not. Um, and uh, I, I had several people from that congregation attend my in my uh, baptism. Um, mm-hmm. I think wow. they. I'm hoping. I'm praying there. There were some eyes and hearts open. Sure. At the very least, some understanding and maybe some questioning. Maybe it will take them decades, too. I don't know. Right. That's <laughs> up to God. So the journey was not without its cost. They, I did lose some friends, um, for, friends I had had in the church. But most most of the people were accepting because I, I, I believe they knew I was genuine in, in what I was uh, saying and sharing with them. And I wasn't trying to condemn them or say oh you know you're all heretics don't you know that mm-hmm, um, right mm-hmm. yeah yeah better just to live it right yeah. right sure yeah. <laughs> big thing too um, something I did not think I would ever have to struggle with I always thought it was a pretty you know, pretty gracious and compassionate person but I discovered that I'm very I've been very judgmental in my life and uh, after my after a baptism, maybe this was a work. Uh, not maybe, certainly it was a work of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Be driving down the road and see perhaps a street person, and immediately my thought would, you know, be, oh, what a waste, and you know, get a job or something like that. <laughs> and then I would feel immediately, oh, you mm. know, I don't know where they came from, what their story is, what they're suffering with. That could be a saint out there. Right. It could be a yeah. modern-day fool for Christ. Who knows? Um, and in many other instances yeah. of that, judge yourself first. Sure. Judge sure. yourself only, really. But it's interesting that even your own awareness of your sinfulness came, as you put it, probably through the through the through the grace of God, through the activity of and presence of God in in, in your life, and how essential that actual presence is for us to be able to live out our Christian life. You know, humility is supposed to be the foundation, isn't it? Um, right. And I think it may be the hardest lesson to learn yeah. uh, and to incorporate. It is so much against our fallen human nature. Right. Um, pride being the original and probably worst uh, initial sin. Right. Um, so you get to a point and when you're new to orthodoxy, maybe throughout your life, too. Uh, I'll let you know when I've lived it. But uh, <laughs> you, uh, you, you start reviewing your behavior, and then you discover you're feeling proud about your humility. Huh. <laughs> yep. Gets really complicated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. yeah. Amen. I think that's a good note. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think this was very good. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're about an hour. We're, yeah, we're an hour in, and uh, that's good. Thank it's a you good so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Elias, for your time. Really appreciate it. And I'm blessed to be able to share this with you, and share yeah. share your views as well. 
It's been wonderful. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Well, thank you all for listening. And um, remember to follow us on all our, you know, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Patreon, YouTube. That's where all the action is. And listen to our podcasts because I think that they are, I think they're special. And I don't say that with pride. I say it because it's a fact. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe there's pride in it. I don't know. Thank you all. God bless. God bless you. Thank you, Elias. Thank you.